0: We are we are uh, continuing in this series of uh, messages about Joseph. Um, we have uh, gotten here to chapter forty-one, and the story goes on to uh, chapter fifty, and uh, we're not going to, to go any further. This this passage here um, is is our stopping place. We're going to look at it today, and we're going to look at it again next week because there's two things that two questions that it raises. If you're wondering what happens uh, to Joseph from here, let me encourage you to read it. It's nine, nine chapters, and there's some fascinating things in it. But I'm going to spoil it for you by saying that from here on, it's all downhill. Joseph has, has kind of endured all the bad things that we, we ever learn about Joseph in his life. And from here on, it's, it's all good news for Joseph. So so if that's a spoiler, uh, too bad. But um, but uh, I do encourage you to take a look at it. We're going to spend some time, though, over the next two weeks looking at the story um, uh, as it as it's come to us this far, uh, because because um, uh, to me this story of Joseph raises raises two questions, and and one of them uh, we're going to look at today is is the way that Joseph's plans keep changing. Joseph has his 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 world um, come crashing down on him. No matter what where he's gone up to this point, everything Joseph's done, uh, his his plans. Uh, the rug gets pulled out from underneath him, right? The wheels come off his his car, and he has to deal with the the, the changes of that. And um, I think that's something we can all—that's a place we can all relate to. That we can all uh, relate to change in our life. When I was in uh, eighth or ninth grade, I was convinced I was going to become an artist. People said, "Luke, you like to draw? You're really good at." stuff like that, so so you should become an artist. And then uh, over the next couple of years, I discovered I really didn't have that much talent. So my first change was to say, well, maybe I'll become a cartoonist, um, And because you don't need as much talent to be a cartoonist. And um, so that lasted for a while, and then I had a summer job where I actually worked in the world and, and had to actually work. And I, I decided, you know, cartoonist was probably not a great thing to, to lean on um, if that was the only thing standing between me and and real work. So I decided I was going to become a chemist. And that lasted uh to my 3rd year of college and and I had to make another change in my plan because I was in organic chemistry and I was uh, my head was above water barely um but it was not my easiest class by by any means and if I got through it if somehow I managed to get through organic chemistry physical chemistry was coming up the following year which is even harder and I just said, "Boy, this is just this is a hard hard plan to to carry out, and I remember what made me change my plan. Uh, um, we got newsletters from the alumni office, even though we weren't alumni yet, and there was this, this survey of the previous year's graduating class, and I remember looking at two things in particular, because I was struggling in chemistry, and I was really doing well in the computer classes. They encouraged um, chemists to learn something about computers. I was doing great in the computer classes, and the previous year's graduating um, class had had uh, an average uh, job, um, uh, jo- job offer of $13,000 for chemists. And the average computer scientist had had a, a job offer of $23,000. And I thought about this. I said, I'm dying in chemistry. And if I succeed, I'll get less money. Meanwhile, I'm acing computer science. What is wrong with this picture? And so I changed my plans. And, you know, uh, that's the good kind of change, right? The good kind of change is the one like that where you see you're in a you're in a place like this, but you see something better over there, and you say, "I like that plan. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in that direction." And you know, we we've all got changes like that. We we've you know made made changes in our lives because we got married. We've made changes in our lives because because um, we moved. Uh, or because we had a job opportunity come open, so we've made those kind of changes. The upgrade changed, right? We we changed our plan in order to upgrade our situation. But then there's that other kind of change that we don't like. The kind that that uh, happens to us, as opposed to something that we decided we were going to do. Our plan got changed for us. The the rug was pulled out underneath us. Kind of like we've been reading about with Joseph. The rug was pulled out. The, the wheels came off, something went sideways, and we make a pratfall, and now we're trying to figure out what do we do next. That kind of change, the the change where the doctor tells us, you know, I'm going to try a different medication because the old one's not doing what it used to do. Or maybe the doctor says, you know, um, it's not the medication, it's you need to do something about this. You need to stop doing this or you need to start doing that. Uh, you have to make a change not because you see something better over there, but because something bad is happening right here. Or or maybe maybe the change is something like when the company says, you know, we've decided that this this particular business we're in right now is not strategic. So we're going to exit this market. And for those of you who are part of the division that is in that market, well, your jobs are at risk, and you're welcome to look around and see if you can find anything else somewhere else in the company. Good luck. Um, or maybe maybe they say, you know what? Actually, we want to stay in this business, and so what we're going to do is we're going to merge with another company, and the two divisions are going to sort themselves out. And who knows? You might survive that. So you know, if you've been in that kind of a change, the change that happens to you, or or maybe the change where where uh, somebody comes to you and says, you know, uh, we've been in this kind of relationship, and uh, you were thinking that it was fine, and I'm thinking I want a different relationship, um, like maybe less. And, and maybe it's, maybe it's a, uh, someone who is a, a partner, maybe a husband, a wife, maybe boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe it's some other relationship, you know, you just say, you know, we're just kind of moving on from that relationship where things have changed and they just changed without, without you thinking of it as a good thing. The kind of change that, that makes us disappointed or maybe hurts us or, or maybe the kind of change that fills us with anxiety about what's going to happen from here. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the question, what do we make of those kind of changes? As people of faith, what does our faith tell us about those kinds of changes, the, the rug pulled out from underneath us? kinds of changes? Uh, because ultimately what we believe as people of faith is that God is in heaven. right? God has not lost his power to influence events on the earth and that and that everything that happens, you know, Jesus says, no sparrow falls without his notice. So, So these things are not happening and God's going, oh my goodness, I wasn't paying attention. No, these things are happening either because God decided to make them happen, or at least God saw it and said, I'm okay with that. And so what do we do about those kinds of problems where our plans change or are changed for us, as people of faith, what do we say about that? So, what I want to do is I want to look at Joseph from that perspective, because as we see, um, Joseph is continually being thrown back to square one. Joseph was this uh, the darling child of his father. He gets the coat with the long sleeves. He's got a great future in front of him, right? Right up to the point where his brothers uh, sell him into slavery in Egypt, and now he's had the rug pulled out from underneath him. So he's a slave in Egypt. So he by dint of his effort and his gifts, he works his way up to chief slave in the household. So his future is not as bright as it used to be, but it's better. He's better off than he was when he showed up. Uh he's 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 kind of got a path and maybe he's thinking someday he'll he'll be able to um uh uh earn his way out of slavery. That was something very common in the ancient world. Slaves would be given money or the opportunity to make money and then they could buy their freedom. So maybe he's got that kind of mindset. He's thinking, that's that's my plan. But it doesn't happen because uh, Potiphar's wife uh, accuses him of assaulting her, and so he's thrown into prison. So again, the rug is pulled out from underneath him. And then the same thing happens to him in prison. He's in prison. He kind of works his way up, becomes the the, the chief prisoner. We read how God is with him, and everything he does succeeds. So So he's working on that plan. He has the opportunity to to talk to somebody who's got uh, connections high up. The chief cupbearers in prison. He says, "Hey, remember me to Pharaoh when you get out." He hatches a plan. Maybe I could get out of prison if this guy would just talk to Pharaoh about me. But the guy forgets, and two years go by. So over and over again, every one of the plans that Joseph has made has fallen through. That that they've either fallen through or else they've been they've he, he's um, been taken back to square one and he has to come up with a totally new plan. So that's the situation Joseph's been in and and the same is true really if you think about it for Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh has got plans. He's got all kinds of plans. Pharaoh is the chief of government, he's got departments in charge of plans. There's the the uh, army, right? They've got war plans. What if we need to invade uh, Nubia or uh, Abyssinia or wherever? They've got plans. He's got the agriculture department, they've got plans, and those plans are about to be put into overdrive. A pharaoh's got plans. He's got a department of public works. Every pharaoh had a department of public works. He's got a plan. He's going to have a sphinx with his face on it or, or maybe a new pyramid put up. And those plans have just been upset by God who gave him this dream, told him, there's not going to be any money left over for sphinxes and pyramids, pharaoh, because you're going to be busy saving people's bacon. You're going to be lucky if anybody gets through this because you're going to have to put aside 20% of every crop for the next five, uh, 7 years just to get them through the hard times. So Pharaoh's plans have changed too. But what do we read? We read in verse We read in verse 37, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. He recognizes a good plan when he sees it. This is the best plan he 's had since he had the bad dream because it is a plan. Pharaoh says uh, he, he takes to this new plan like like a drowning man would grab a lifesaver he says he says yes, I will take this plan and he says um, that i 'm going to make you the uh, executor of it now think about think about uh, joseph he 's in a position he made this pitch he said he said hey Pharaoh." Here's what you ought to do. You know, I've, I've explained the dream to you, but now I'm going to make a proposal to you. I'm going to suggest you you get somebody to do this and to do that. They'll hire some people. They'll do this. They'll put aside the grain, blah, 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 blah. So he makes a proposal, and he's thinking, for all we know, he's thinking, and then you'll be so grateful to me, you'll give me my freedom, and I can go back home to Canaan. But he doesn't get that. Instead, Pharaoh says, where are we going to find somebody as wise as this guy? So let's make him the the executor, make him the, the executive in charge of carrying out this plan. So he does. Pharaoh doesn't get what he planned, but instead he saves his nation. Joseph doesn't get what he planned. He never does go back to Canaan. He makes one trip back, uh, it's like chapter 50, okay, he makes one trip back and then immediately comes back. He dies in Egypt. He never gets to go back home to Canaan. He was only able to make one trip to go back and bury his father. And that's the end of Joseph. He never gets what his plan originally called for. But Pharaoh, he doesn't get the pyramid. We don't know who he is. He's not famous. Pharaoh saves his nation. And you know, I think we're cynical about politicians today, but really that's what a king's job is. The whole reason that they get all the pomp and circumstances and all the, all the, 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 the accoutrements of power, is so they can execute it and save their people. And so Pharaoh does exactly what every king aspires to do. He saves his nation. Uh, As for Joseph, he never gets to go back to Canaan, but his family comes to him because we read at the end of this story, it says, all the world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine became severe throughout the world. So his family ends up coming to him, and that's what the next couple of chapters are going to talk about: how Joseph comes, uh, how, how Joseph's family comes to him, and, and Joseph uh, never goes back to Canaan, but his family comes. But something else happens. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, if you read the stories about the the twelve tribes of Israel, is if you don't have the mindset of the ancient Middle East, you read you read it and you say, well, "Wait a minute! There's you know, there's thirteen tribes in the twelve tribes of Egypt. I mean, the twelve tribes of Israel. There's thirteen tribes, and they keep calling them the twelve tribes. Why do they do that? What they do is, is the answer to the question, why isn't there a tribe of Joseph? All of his brothers get tribes. Levi, Simeon, Judah, all, Issachar, and all the rest. They all get tribes named after them, but there is no tribe of Joseph. Instead, there's two tribes. We read in here, in verse um, uh, fifty, it says, "Before the famine came, Joseph had two sons, whom Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore him. Joseph named the first one Manasseh, and the second he named Ephraim. Uh, those are called the two half tribes of Joseph. So, uh, by calling them half tribes, then what you get to do is you get to have twelve instead of thirteen. So it's this kind of uh, accounting gimmick that the writers of Scripture use." To, to say there's 12 tribes because 12 is a good number, 13 is not a good number. But Joseph gets two tribes from his line, the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of, of Ephraim. They're called half-tribes, but in the course of the history of Israel, it turns out that Ephraim and Manasseh are the richest, most populous tribes. They control the biggest parts of Israel. And both of those tribes are from the lineage of Joseph. So Joseph doesn't get what he wanted but he gets more than he expected. He gets more than he expected even when he was a, a, one, of the, one of the brothers and with his long coat. Joseph becomes not just a patriarch, but a double patriarch. What both Pharaoh and Joseph experience is that they don't get what they planned, but they achieve their purpose. Pharaoh's purpose is to save his nation. Joseph's purpose is to become a patriarch. Each of them fails to achieve their plans, but they achieve their purpose. So, what is the lesson in this for us? The lesson for us, I think, is to be open to the possibility that God loves you, but has different plans for your life than you do. To be open to the possibility that God loves you, but that His plans for your life are different than yours. And so, so to, to, to think through what that might look like, what, what it might look like, uh, as, as you, as you reflect on your own life. And I would encourage you as, a, as a kind of a homework assignment, think back about your life. Think back like I was telling you where, where you, your, your, your career took a different path or you, you changed your plans for one reason or another. And particularly, if you can think of times where it was upsetting, it was not something where you kind of made a decision, I want to move in that direction, but the kind of decision that was forced on you, the kind of thing where somebody else Caused your life to take a different turn. And reflect on it this week and think to yourself, where was God in that? Was God doing something? Can I now see with the advantage of hindsight? Can I see how God was doing something in my life that I didn't know before? Because I think what we'll see as we do this is that, is that what we think of as a setback may actually be God setting us up for something different. When we look at a situation and we say, I cannot imagine how we can overcome from this place we've been thrown back into. How can we ever get back to where we were? The reason is because God wants to move us in a new direction. So so spend some time this week, just a few minutes. Think, think to yourself, uh, where were the big changes in my life? And how was God at work in, in making those, direction, those, those changes in my life? There's a, there's a tension in the story of Joseph. Uh, the tension is what we talked about last week. Uh, God wants us to dream big. God wants us to have big, God-sized dreams. But at the same time, God wants us to be open to new possibilities. You know, when I, when I was changing my major to, to computer science, I never envisioned that I might wind up as a minister. And when I became a minister... I had role models. I had all the ministers I'd known up to that point as role models. And I hadn't been in seminary, I don't think, two weeks before it began to dawn on me that the ministry of the future was not going to look like the ministry of the past, that that the denominations were changing, churches are changing, America is changing, and how our churches um, respond to it is different. I, I, I just went to an, an event with um, the bishop, the Methodist bishop, uh, back during October And he has this charming little thing he tells all the Methodist ministers in the community. He says, he says, everything's going to be different. Our denomination's in decline. We are now where the Presbyterians were a few years ago. (laughs) That's his kind of the, the little happy note that he can throw them a bone is to say, we're not as bad as the Presbyterians. And so as a, as a pastor of, as a Presbyterian minister in a, a union church of Methodists and Presbyterians, I hear that with not, you know, the perfect, uh, uh, happy, happy face that I might, but what I have come to grips with is the idea that God's future is the one that's going to win. First of all, but the, the fact that it's not what I was hoping for doesn't mean that God hates me. I, I've, I've become open, at least in the area of my career, to the possibility that God loves me, and His plans are different than mine. So I would encourage you to think about your own life. Think about it in, in the past, in terms of the, the big turns you've seen in your life. Think about those and try to imagine how God might have been a part of that. But then as you dream, as you have those big Joseph-sized, God-sized dreams about the future, think to yourself, how can I be open, even while I'm dreaming these big dreams, to the possibility that God has something different? Because our goal is not to achieve our plans, our goal is to achieve our purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know, You you see every bit of our life, and You've seen the way our lives have been upset and turned over, and and many times we have been anxious or hurt because of that. But uh, You know the plans You have for us, plans to prosper us. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help us to be open to Your plan. Help us to dream big dreams and yet be open for the changes You throw at us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.